0: Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Delia Efron, best-selling author, screenwriter and playwright. Her movies include You've Got Mail and The Sister of the Travelling Pants and she's written novels and non-fiction and her journalism has appeared in the New York Times, Oprah Magazine and Vogue. She collaborated with her sister Nora Efron on a play Love, Loss and What I Wore which ran for two years off Broadway. She's just the most magnificent writer and storyteller and today we are About her brilliant new memoir called Left on Tenth A Second Chance at Life, a beautiful book about many things how Delia found love again after 70, her wonderful friendships, and a heartfelt account of life after cancer. It's a brilliant book, it's full of emails and letters and little pieces of a puzzle of figuring out life again. And I really recommend a read and curling up with Delia's amazing words and shutting off the world for a moment. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm so delighted, Emma. It's so nice to meet you. You too. So I wanted to start off, you know, this book is so personal. It feels like a very personal book from you and I feel like I know you very well. And you really took us on a journey and I just... I didn't want it to end, honestly. I felt like I was going back in time with you. And you have pieced together so much very generous material, your emails, letters, notes, the real stuff. And I know that in the acknowledgements, you referenced someone who helped you piece all that together. And I'm sure that was a task. But what was that like going back over everything?
1: When I survived this ordeal of having a stem cell transplant for leukemia, and I I didn't think I was going to write again. And I was so complete, just trying to come back to the world was such a big thing. And then, you know, but then my writer's heart started beating and I knew I had had this absolutely extraordinary story handed to me. And uh, so I started to think, oh, maybe I just have to write this. And I, I made a rule for myself when I wrote it just was that It's always my rule about writing personally, but I had to be completely honest. I don't think if you write about yourself, if you're not, I don't think anything ever works. And but in this case, it was it was a big honest because I had to write about being in the hospital and about falling in love with Peter and, you know, things that. We just really were so personal, Um, but it was it was kind of I didn't remember an enormous amount of what happened to me in the hospital. I mean, not all of it, but I mean, there were blanks and it was kind of a treasure hunt to find these amazing things out to interview my my girlfriends, to look at all the emails Peter sent out when I was sick. And and then it was just kind of incredible to over to look over. All the emails between Peter and me when we were falling in love. I mean, they 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 were made, they were really amazing, I thought. And I was so um excited to be able to have that because the writer part of me understood, oh my God, this is this is wonderful. And it sort of squashed out the rest of it because I really just I wanted to tell the story.
0: Well, I want to talk to you a bit more about the romance and the, the focus on your incredible relationships and how loved you are and how many people celebrated you in so many different ways and still do. But before I do, I did want to touch on the fact that, you know, one of my favorite films is You've Got Mail. I feel like this is sort of a love letter, this book to the email, because so much happens through email people, you know, Peter getting in touch.
1: When I started emailing Peter and we, we just, the connection was so powerful. I really, I mean, I didn't think I'd well, yeah, I sort of actually thought I'd fallen into my own romantic comedy. I, 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 could not believe that I had written "You've Got Mail" and then here I was in this, in this amazing love affair online, and um, and we really did fall in love in those emails, and then of course long, long, wonderful phone calls at night. Um, so uh, it was, it was, it was really strange, but then. You know, four months into this, I got my leukemia diagnosis and a fierce leukemia. I mean, it was it was a potentially a death sentence, you know, and I thought this is real life. You know, this isn't a movie. I knew it wasn't, of course. I mean, I haven't lived this long to know that. But, you know, one of the things about falling in love is and I think I've only really deeply fallen in love once before when I met Jerry, who I was married to for 32 years, is that. Love really does wipe out almost everything else going on in your life. When, when you just fall, it is an overwhelmingly thrilling, entrancing experience. And I had had so much loss for the years before, for the six years before, that it was just so healing to feel all that again, um, not to feel sad, not to feel emptiness. I mean, it, was, it just filled me up. It was like a almost like a rebirth.
0: And what's so amazing about the book is it would be incredible if you'd told us the story, but we actually see it. We see the emails. So we see that, you know, you you're not expecting that. That's the last thing you're expecting. And we sort of see it grow. And it's it's incredible. And that's what I, I do love about the Internet.
1: Yeah, I do, too. I mean, I I think I think email writing can be very, very fun and very personal. And, and well, like the equivalent of, of what letters used to be. Uh, it, I mean, you can shape it and, and you can do it. You, it's the excitement of getting it is, is thrilling too. You know, oh, you get home, oh, maybe there's something on my email or you're out on the street and you think, oh my God, he wrote me. There's a kind of magic to all that email. It really is. I don't think texting has the same feeling. I think it's more like little chats going back and forth. But this was was really special. Because you're a writer,
0: I feel like this story was layered with someone who has a lot that they need to get out and share. And a part of the book I found kind of hard to read was that you did have to put a lot of your work on the back burner, of course, because you were ill and rest is so important when you're going through tragedy or, or, or life setbacks and you obviously you can't carry on as normal, but you had to cancel the a tour for one of your books. I think one of your novel and, and there were things that you couldn't do. Yeah. I mean, what was that like at
1: the time? Cause obviously you love your work. Oh, I, I knew I couldn't do that. I was so overwhelmed when I was being treated for leukemia. And uh, I, I think in the case of leukemia, you, you're going to the hospital all the time. I mean, a, and uh, I mean, a couple of times a week, have your blood checked and everything. And until I got through the stem cell transplant, I was there all the time. And it wasn't I didn't have the space to be another person during that time. I couldn't be somebody who went into a bookstore and was all bouncy. And, you know, I, I love to go to bookstores and I love to to talk, to speak. It's really fun for me. But I did not. There was no space. There was no bandwidth in my in in my brain for that. And in fact, I really didn't think I would write again. Once I had been through the, the you know, it was a hundred days in the hospital and I was, I'd lost so much weight and I was weak. I could not walk. I was in a wheelchair. I had to relearn everything. And I learned to stand up all by myself and, um, That took an enormous, there was a a good six months after I got out of the hospital where that was what I was preoccupied with, how I could get myself back into the world.
0: Yeah, it's important to touch on that, isn't it? Because I think um, a lot of people have a romantic idea of memoirists that even when they're living these nightmares, that they're sort of thinking, oh, this is, I can write my way out of this.
1: In the beginning, when I first got my diagnosis, my doctor was very worried she was worried because I had to protect my hope. And she thought if it just kind of leaked out that I was, um, that I had leukemia, people would just write me off. I mean, oh, her sister died. She's dying, too. And uh, so when I went into room, so I I didn't tell anyone. And that didn't really suit me, by the way. I mean, I'm not someone that can go out to dinner with a with a girlfriend and and not tell them what's going on in my life. So I was not happy about that. Situation, but I understood how important it was. And then, when I ran into remission the first time, I thought, "Okay, from here, I can, I can go public." And then I decided I would just write it as a piece for the New York Times, which they happily took and printed. And um, and is telling everyone at once my way where I am in this world, and it was from a positive place. It was from the point of remission. So and I wrote it as a. I really did write it because I think the story is the memoir is a love story more than anything. It's a love story. And in that piece was a love story, too. And and amazingly, because I got so many replies to that, so many comments. And um, it was the number one most emailed for a couple of days even. And, and um, but most people wrote about it from the point of view of love. They didn't write about it from the point of view of illness. So I was very I was very happy about that. But then, you know, when I got it, when I got uh, eight months later, I got leukemia again. And then I I really only had one choice to uh, have a bone marrow transplant. I, these things, bone marrow stem cell transplant, that, that's basically they used to have to get your stem cells by doing an actual into your bone marrow. And now they can do it from a blood transfusion. So it's painless, I mean, for donors, right? So it has the name bone marrow transplant, it has the name stem cell transplant, they mean the same thing. So I often use them interchangeably.
0: You know, I think writers can, you can shape it, you can shape it with words, you can take back control a little bit.
1: That's right. I think that was critical, yeah, because you're so out of control when you're sick. I could shape the story. Everybody got the same story. So it wasn't a telephone thing where I call up one person, they call up another person, the information gets all scrambled up. And and this way I felt very lucky that I could do that.
0: I mean, obviously on, on the cover there's love and there's hope. And it, of course love came through to me, of course, when I was reading it, but hope was like the shining theme of the book because not that everything has to have happy endings all the time but there was just this glimmer all the way through that on the flip side of the grief and on the flip side of the really sad moments just around the corner was a hopeful moment even with your um you know with Jerry and and with your sister mm-hmm. you mentioned your sister Nora Ephron who it it's so sad when you when you talk about her and you know the fear because you were you had the same thing that she had but then she introduced you by some means, to Peter. So it was like on every corner there was these two things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. There was magic all over. I mean, I, I think of it as there was so much luck that it made me wonder about things like miracles because there was just so much luck in the book. I mean, yes, Nora had introduced us when we were 18. And Peter always says it's a good thing. Neither of us really remembers it because we weren't <laughs> meant to be then, you know. And and then um, and then how do I meet Peter? My Internet crashes because I'm trying to disconnect Jerry's landline. And, and I get in a big fight with the phone company and I, I get so upset. I write it. And the next thing I know, Peter rides me. So There was a kind of way, I mean, I'm a storyteller and um, I knew life had given me a story, Mm -hmm. big story. Yeah.
0: I know that it's sort of not in any way related or the same, but I often think about the luck that was involved with me meeting my husband. I just think all of the tiny little steps that we both had to take to meet I think about it all the time and I and I want to think about that all the time because I want to be grateful. I don't want to just take it for granted. <laughs> it's definitely not as interesting as your story. But I just I just it's such a reminder reading your book.
1: It does give a, a beautiful glow to a relationship to have had some magic in the beginning, which I think many relationships have, or they they do in memory, even if they didn't actually, now that something wonderful has happened. Mm-hmm. It all it it can feel very magical. And looking back,
0: I also love the women in the book. I love that you call some of the women in your life friend daughters. I I think I highlighted that on like the first few pages. I just love that. Do you I mean, could you talk a little bit about that? How you you do have such an amazing circle of friends and and relatives and friend daughters in the book? And I love that label that you can put on someone that means so much to you.
1: Um yeah, I I actually didn't I, I'm trying to think if I had that term before I wrote the book, but anyway, I I don't have um biological children. And um and I discovered that once you get a little older there are a lot of young women who either for because they don't have mothers or because they don't get along with the mothers they have you know are uh, you can i have these younger friends who i think of as friend daughters and um there are there are a number of them but in the book that i think i just talk about heather and and natasha and and uh, jill and it's this great relationship where I mother them. They actually mother me a bit. <laughs> Jill is very brave about travel and things like that. So she's always giving me, you know, cheering me on because I'm not so brave that way. But, but the, it's just a great relationship. And, um, and it's very special. I, I don't think you have to have life in conventional ways. I think there's all sorts of ways to get what you want if you're just inventive about it, if you are open to it. And that, and my friend daughters, are, I think, are, are one of the ways. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: I absolutely love that. I don't think I want to have children, and I've written about it quite a bit, and I love being an auntie. I love being someone in someone else's life and support and, you know, that nourishment and maybe maternal-ish, but, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't have to be the kind of traditional biological way if you don't want to. So that that just filled me with a lot of warmth, like hearing about those relationships. And I, I think in a recent interview it might have been with Time magazine, but you you speak about how the book was joyful to write and how you're celebrating your friendships in the book. And I think you use the term women warriors.
1: Yes. I I I began to realize that, you know, when I took this trip through this illness, um I had these I had such great girlfriends. and And there's that sometimes when you're in a real crisis, you understand some things about your life, and I understood. I always knew I had great girlfriends, but this was, you know very special. and and actually, good friends in general. I mean men as well. But I began what I thought of was suddenly realizing I was assembling my women warriors to help me through. And uh, I think, when you take a journey like this through a, a, a serious medical journey, you have to really think about who comes on the journey with you. I, I don't think I was any different as a person when I went through it because I mean, I'm not a Googler. I did not research my illness. I I I knew my doctor was absolutely top class. I did not go to other doctors. I knew I couldn't handle that. I mean, I had to do it my way, but I knew I needed I knew I needed my girlfriends to help Peter and to help me. And and they, I began to think of them as my women warriors. Um, and th- they were just remarkable. I, I think I, this book is a bit of a celebration of friendship.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, was there anything that surprised you about friendship in the book? Because obviously you do have this tight-knit group. Did you find that some people, though, weren't there for you as you wanted them to be? And some people really stepped up?
1: I knew who would be right to take this journey with me. They and by the way, it's not like they're all friends with each other. I mean, Julia's in Wales, Dina's in Los Angeles. They've never actually met. Jesse's in New York and LA. She's, she knows Dina, but they're not. I mean, these are these are friends that are my friends, but it's not a group that all knows each other. But they all are extremely emotionally deep. And I knew that I could trust them and that they would be helpful to Peter and that I was safe with them. And and Linda Diaz as well, who had worked for me for so many years. I mean, she was miraculous.
0: Because I've been reading recently that a lot of people out of the pandemic have been relooking at their friendships and looking at their life and renegotiating kind of what they are expecting from their relationships. I think a lot of people probably yeah. had friendships that weren't really right. And Do you have any tips or advice for for kind of anyone thinking, how do I know what a good friend is in this current climate? I
1: have a rule I live by, which is people begin as they mean to continue. And it's very good in knowing who you shouldn't have a second date with. It's also good about who you go into business with. Um, And I think it's probably very useful for friendship. Uh, I mean, I think I have had good luck. And I think I'm a good, I try to be a good friend myself. So I think that I've always been, and, and I had sisters and it teaches you sort of what works and what doesn't uh, in friendship. So I think I have a very good sense of that, but I would say that that rule, people reveal themselves very quickly to be people that you should go forward with.
0: That's really good advice. Thank you. Also in the acknowledgements, I, I read that you had said that you had changed some details in the book. And I know with memoir, sometimes you have to for the privacy of others and also just to kind of protect yourself or whoever. And you can fictionalize things slightly. I know that you, I think you say the word scrambled, you scrambled some bits in the book, changed bits mm-hmm. around. How do you decide what to scramble and what to leave as Completely, sort of truth. The only thing
1: I scrambled were people are uh, um, none of the intimate stories, none of the, the none of the main stuff was scrambled at all. I um, I mentioned when I talked about um, getting calls from after I wrote that piece, uh, I began to, you know, somebody somebody began emailing me that I didn't you know, after the first piece in the Times, and I I disguised that location and person, and so I don't know that person, I don't want, but everything to do with me and my friends and Peter and the illness, there is absolutely not scrambled. This was just a reference. I, the, um, the Verizon piece that I read printed in there it's cut a little and there's a new paragraph in it because i just made it better um but the the most minor things really yeah
0: but i find that interesting because even though you're writing a personal book you do have to have those boundaries don't you it's not like here's everything you get to have it all it's no here's a slice of and a crafted version of what of what happened in
1: in and again the control is yours Yes, that's true. But you need to be completely honest. That was the rule I made on that book. And I and I kept to it. It was really just to protect people that I wasn't close to. I I just needed to protect the privacy of that person trying to email me. I had to protect the privacy of what else? Uh, I think that's pretty much I mean, all my friends read the book. They approved everything that was in it. And um, I don't think there was. I don't think I scrambled anything major in this book. It had to be true story. Mm. I I didn't scramble anything that was significant.
0: Yeah, I love that because, you know, for anyone who wants to write a memoir, I think it's really interesting listening to someone who has literally written the most truthful story. It couldn't get more intimate with you. But it's interesting, yeah, how to do that from a format perspective and how to do it so that everyone sort of feels good at the
1: end of it as well. The hardest thing for me, oddly enough, writing it was I could not admit to the reader that I had not been with my dog when my dog died. Mm. And I just couldn't write it. And then I just sat myself down and said, you have to write the truth. You have to tell the truth that you weren't there. And for some reason, that section for me, actually several people have said that they had they they were most moved almost by that. But I had to tell, you have to tell things about yourself that you wouldn't like to admit to yourself.
0: Yes. And does that feel, even though it's, oh, it's so moving that, that, that scene and it was like, oh God, Delia does not need this on top of everything else <laughs> in that bit. But there's something quite cathartic about writing the truth, isn't there? It's kind of, yeah. it's quite peaceful, even if it's not very nice to look at.
1: No, no, I know. I mean, I felt good after and and I felt like, oh, my God, it's the thing about your dog that you're crazy. And, you know, of course, if you have a dog, you know, you know that that's such a powerful thing not to be there when your dog is dying. And um, it was awful. But people have said to me that that that's one of the things that was almost hardest to read. So I feel I succeeded in in praying it. But, yeah, it was rough. Mm. it's so
0: interesting talking to you about it because my I I always thought you had to be have the sharpest memory and it was all about memory and it was all about remembering Mm -hmm. things and it's just so amazing to know that you can actually piece together something that happened even when you weren't writing notes every five seconds and remembering it all it's fascinating
1: absolutely I don't think I have a very good memory actually Uh, and certainly if you're in traumatic situations honestly I mean, I was so shocked when Meredith said to me, you were in the ICU for six days. I mean, I literally to this day have no memory of ever seeing an ICU, much less being in one, much less swearing at everyone in one. So um, it's just so not like me. I I like to think, but it is not like me. I would never do something like that. But I was just so sick. So, um I made that work for the book. You know, I made that part of the storytelling was to have other people's emails, other people's points of view, Peter, especially his emails. And, and, and I didn't know the night, you know, the night I almost died when, when my lungs were filling with fluid, Peter told me the story of him staying up all night watching Watching my PO2s—that's that's that's, that is some number that has to do with your lungs filling with fluid and making sure it didn't go too high and and, uh, no, go too low, I believe. And um, uh, you you know that it was—it was amazing to to put it together. It was almost like a a mystery that I uncovered. Mm, Yes. I, think, I just want to say it that I'm not I don't think writing this book eliminated the trauma because I think if you have a stem cell transplant, you're really, you know, it, it is a powerful impact on you. Even just going around talking about it now, I, I feel like I'm tempting fate by saying I'm fine. You know, it's it's it leaves a, a mark, but it did help me. And I feel that if, if you can do anything with the traumas that hit you, if you can dance it, draw it, paint it, knit it, something, you know, there, write it, uh, it will, even interview people do, you know, if there's anything you can make out of it, it will help you process it.
0: Well, thank you so much for this book. I just think it's the greatest, most generous, most beautiful book act of creativity uh, out of something that this was lived we got to read it but I feel like you've been through so much and to kind of offer this up to people to read is just amazing such a beautiful book
1: oh kind of you really kind of you I so appreciate it
0: well thank you and my last question for you is just how are you now
1: well, I am except that I have to talk about this all the time right now because of yeah. the publication, which is getting me a little anxious. I'm absolutely fine. I'm in New York. Peter is here. Charlotte is somewhere in the house. That's our new dog. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing our best with COVID is what we're doing. Um, it's It's put a crimp in everyone's life, and it's another worry. It's spring in New York. Spring in New York is always wonderful.
0: Well, thank you again for talking to me. I know it must be really kind of strange talking about your life again, having written it and now you're talking about it, but I really appreciate it. And I can't wait for everyone to go and grab their copy and and read it with their friends. Thank you. Emma. Thank you so much. It's been so much
1: fun.